<laughs> well, praise God and good morning. It is wonderful to see all of your faces. Uh, I hope that if I've never met you before, we get a chance to do that after today's uh, time in his word, in the Lord's word. Um, as you've already heard Pastor Ryan share, we are continuing our series Forward in Faith, Forward in Faith. Uh, if you're just kind of getting dialed in, I'll try to give a brief review of where we've been, kind of, uh, but at least make sure you don't feel lost in today's message. Um, with that being said, let me pray for us. Is that okay? Amen. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe exactly what your word says about itself. Uh, that it is living and that it is good for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Would you search us, search every corner of our hearts that does not fully believe that with the full strength that you've said it? Lord God, would you allow us today during the course of our preaching, both me, the preacher, and the hearer, Lord God, to discover new theological gems? Lord God, let there be fresh doctrine, Lord God, teaching, uh, Lord God, uh, lifted from the pages of Scripture that would reignite our appreciation for the living nature of your word and just your timeless, ever-relevant knowledge and how you've uh, caused it to be captured in the pages of these things we call Bibles. Lord God, would you allow us to go beyond the theological? Would you allow those same words and those same great theological discoveries to drop down into our lives and to reprove us? May we feel, Lord God, both the surgical uh, uh, nature of your word, its precision as it separates, Lord God, thoughts from intent and exposes our sin and shows us where we need to cease and desist with certain activities in our lives. Lord God, would you go further? Would you correct us? Would you reset the broken limbs that need a cast, oh God, and they need the cast of your word to be mended properly? Lord God, would you equip us? Would you give us new encouragement and capacity to serve you well in the roles to which you have called us. Husband, wife, father, son, mother, daughter, niece, nephew, grandparent, co-worker, CFO, CEO, Lord God, wherever we find ourselves, pilot, Lord God, would you equip us, Lord God, both inside and outside these four walls to become more uh, kingdom-oriented and, and to drive the kingdom forward in the places where we land. Lord God, would you allow us today to receive just kind of a delivery, Lord God, that only you could offer, a unique demonstration of your spirit that makes it so obvious that what the hearer is hearing and what the, the teacher is even saying could not be the craft of great oration or it could not be the product of good old study, but it is just a straight up demonstration of your Holy Spirit having been here among us. Lord God, would you grace us with that? Can we make such a bold request? Please. This is our appeal in the matchless and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So uh, I want to read for us again uh, the text of Scripture that we chose and then kind of zoom out a little bit and tell you how we got here. In Genesis chapter 18, verses 11 and following, it reads like this. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out, my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? What is happening? 
If you know anything about the life of Abram or Abraham, as we are now getting ready to start calling him, he was met by God in the Ur of Chaldees, a man who was called to go to a place that God had not defined for him, but that was yet fully defined in God. He says, go to a place. And it was just this very general call. And then over the next several chapters, this general call has become very much more specific in what it is and where it is that God was calling Abraham or Abram and Sarah to and what he wanted to do. And more specifically, not only was he calling them to a specific place, but he was going to also bless them to be the, the progenitors or, or, or yeah, progenitors of, of a particular people. There are three main prongs to the Abrahamic promise or covenant that God promised that Israel would be a prominent people. They would have prowess amongst all other people in the world. Uh, a second facet of it is that they would have a distinct property that is known as their own and that also the Abrahamic promise is unfolded and that they would have a, a, a very specific progeny, just a very prolific people that they would be massive in the earth and that through Abram, God would bless all the nations of the earth and what would come out of him. That is, the, that is kind of the big picture of the promise that God has made to Abram. And so when we land here in chapter 18, the man whose conversations with God started when he was 75 is now 99. And a good bit of the promise has yet to come in full view. They've gotten kind of glimpses and, and portions of it. And along the way, as, the, as these glimpses and pieces uh, uh, of God's will have become clear, there are seasons in Abraham and Sarah's life where they have kind of gotten ahead of God. They've created shortcuts to trying to advance and move forward in faith, try to make some shortcuts. They, they made some blunders. They messed up some things. But God, who is faithful, is continuing to plow forward and fulfill his promise, despite the fact that those who are following him have not necessarily been faithful in all that they're doing. One of the comments that Pastor Ryan made uh, uh, prior to the message in the 930 was that, you know, God's uh, ability to fulfill his promises are not contingent on our faithfulness. And so one must ask the question that if, if God's capacity to do what he does is not contingent on us, why does it seem like in the scriptures he's laboring so hard to use broken, failed, fallen human beings to participate in his will? And I'm hoping to answer a part of that question today uh, in our message. I believe that one of the things, or not one of, one of the big things that God is doing in the lives of all those who place faith in Jesus is that he says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God isn't just in the business of fulfilling promises as it is taking people somewhere, but he is also doing something in them and making them like someone. And that someone that he is making all of us like is his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the Lord is working out in each one of your lives and your respective stations, no matter how difficult, no how long or how briefly you've currently known Jesus, or whether you're standing on the outside looking in, wondering if this thing even makes sense for you, and I feel like, you know, it feels like I'm speaking a foreign language. If you are in Christ, no matter where you are coming from, the Lord is trying to make you look more like Jesus in the spaces where you are. And that's how he advances the kingdom. It's one of the great promises that rests upon all believers in the room, whether you feel yourself connected to Abraham or not. Well, one of the things that the Lord does in order to build or to make us more like Christ is he has to build our appreciation for his mercy. Build our appreciation for his mercy. Now, just kind of theologically speaking, the mercy of God is his goodness applied to an area of our life where we deserve wrath. 
In other words, mercy is us not getting what we deserve, and grace, which is the cousin or maybe even the twin sister, is us getting what we do not deserve. So mercy, not getting what we deserve. Grace, getting more than we deserve. Does that make sense? I want to isolate our conversation today just to this thing of mercy and why it's relevant to our growth in Jesus Christ by looking at some things that play out in the lives of Sarah and Abraham. Um, The title of today's message is The Mercy Rule. The Mercy Rule. And I believe that as we explore the mercy rule, we will come to find that um, our appreciation of God's mercy, we must increase or we should, we should appreciate the mercy of God as a means of building our faith. We should grow to appreciate the mercy of God as a means of building our faith and also making us more like Christ. As we talk about the mercy rule, as I'll unpack in just a few more moments, there are at least three areas I want us to focus when we look at today's text. I'm going to look at three different scenarios in the life of Abraham. And as we're doing so, we're going to see mercy as it is applied. It is the goodness of God applied to three distinct areas of our current condition, all of our conditions. And those three distinct areas are these. It's the goodness of God applied to my weariness, The goodness of God applied to my weakness, and the goodness of God applied to my wickedness. We'll be exploring these three distinct areas as we seek to grow in our appreciation of God's mercy as a means of building our faith. One of the first episodes that we need to take a close look at that lead up to this text where Uh, Sarah has laughed at God is actually found in something else that Sarah did earlier two chapters ago. And this is in Genesis chapter 16, verses 9 through 16. In Genesis chapter 16, Moses, excuse me, Abram is not yet 99, he's 86. And at this point, they decide as a family, since the will of God concerning this promise of this great progeny and these people that are going to come out of us hasn't fully come into view yet, Sarah gives her husband a suggestion and says, I'm going to give you Hagar, my Egyptian servant. Now, why don't you take her and conceive a child? And there we go. Let's just fast, let's fast forward and get this thing on the road with God's will. And so here's what happens in the, lives, uh, in the life of Hagar once that happens. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring. Now, the angel is talking to Hagar because she has been booted out of the home of Abraham and Sarah. Because once she conceived, she then became the object of hatred and jealousy from Sarah, who put her out and says, I can't look at her, I can't stand her. Get her out of our home. And so now here it is, she is out there, she is abandoned. And so here it is, and this is what happened. So an angel meets her and says, and the angel also says to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for their multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. That's what Ishmael's name means, the Lord has listened to you. He shall be as a wild donkey of a man, and his hand shall go out against everyone, and, his hand, and everyone's hand shall be against him. And he shall uh, dwell over against his kinsmen. And so she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are also the God who sees, for you have truly seen, I, and, and have truly seen him who also looks after me. Therefore, uh, as, we, are, as we, we call this place, Ber Lohi Rohi, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore 
Abram a son, and Abram called the name of that son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Now we know that Ishmael is not the promised one, but something quite interesting is taking place. The focus here of God's mercy is the weariness of Hagar. I want you to think about Hagar's situation, not as an American. You need to become like a, an ancient Near Easterner just for a moment. I want you to think about for, the, for a moment all the facets of Hagar's affliction. Here it is. She is an Egyptian, so she is not amongst her same people. She is a servant. She is now about to become an expected single mom because her baby daddy is Abram, and he is not going to be with her long term. She has been put out. Is that correct? She is now, because she's put out of the house, unemployed. Not only unemployed, but because of the nature of what happens in the ancient Near East, she is also homeless. She's living out from them. And oh, because this is not the United States of America, she has no social safety net. She is not just going to go over to the, the, the staffing office and wait for another placement and another home to be a servant. She's not going to the unemployment office. She's not waiting for another stimulus check. She's not going to be able to go to the uh, uh, Social Security Administration and see if there's anything available to her. There's no wick. There is no social support network. This is an overwhelming group of circumstances, and nevertheless, you see God stepping into this affliction. No wonder Hagar is weary. Have you ever been weary? Have you ever been a person who, by virtue of your circumstances, and not necessarily bad decisions, but just the decisions that have been dealt to you and handed to you, you have been overwhelmed with affliction? I mean, look at Hagar. All she did was follow the rules based on culture, time, and context, and, the day, and, and her employment agreement. I mean, the, Sarah is her supervisor. She told her what to do. She figured she was just following through. Have you ever felt like the dominoes or the Legos are just falling down all around you unfavorably, even though you were just trying to do what you thought you were supposed to do based on what was handed to you? Have you ever felt that? You have felt the despair. You have felt weariness, and you have felt this uh, affliction. If you've ever felt like committing suicide, where you said to yourself, I cannot see beyond the, the, the set of circumstances pressing upon my life. I can just get some relief if I just end it now. This is the stuff that creates that kind of context emotionally in our minds. And the Lord sees you and hears you. He sees your affliction, and he hears you if you will call out to him. The mercy of God applies to our weariness. I want you to think about the mercy rule within athletic competition. If anyone has ever played sports at, uh, at least at the junior levels, you are familiar with the mercy rule. We don't apply it much to professionals, but uh, the mercy rule in the athletic competition is this. Once one of the teams is mercilessly beating the other one, there's a certain number or a certain score at which those who are responsible for administering over the game say, no mas, stop. Even in boxing, once a person is just being pommeled and taking way too many shots, the coaches do what? They throw in the towel. They say, no mas, no more. We can't do this anymore. Every single one of our lives at some point has had a, a space where somebody needs to throw in the towel on our behalf. Where we just said, no mas, I can't do this. I'm weary. My circumstances are too much for me. And the Lord wants to meet us in our affliction. 
The mercy rule is designed in athletic competition to preserve the dignity of the one who's being afflicted and promote greater sportsmanship and, and to stop the abuse of the one who's doing the beating. So here you have Sarah, who is God, one of God's chosen, who is berating Hagar, and God says, now, nah, I'm going to apply the mercy rule right here. But he goes to even Hagar, and even though she does not qualify, if you will, for these benefits, she's not a part of the promised fabric. She's not an Israelite. And the Bible wanted you to know that first order of business. She is an Egyptian servant. So what is God doing? I believe that what God is doing is actually giving us what I would consider to be a preview of a great theological and gospel truth that applies to you. You see, the Lord responds to our weariness with whatever he feels is needed to rebuild our hope. Uh, in this moment, he did something, and the Lord will do this. He will do something in your life, if you'll go to him, to let you know he hears you and he sees you. But here's what else the Lord did. Fast forward into pages of Scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, listen to these words very carefully in light of what you just heard. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, the holy nation, royal priesthood, and the chosen people, those aren't Israelites? He didn't call them out of darkness. He's talking to us. He's talking to us, those of us who are the descendants of Ishmael, who were born outside of the core fabric. We weren't born into the home team, if you will. Listen to it. If, if you don't believe me, listen to it even more carefully. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received, but now you have received. So the mercy of God is applied to the weariness of a people who historically had no stake and claim in God. Ladies and gentlemen, if you know Jesus today, that is you, unless you are just Jewish. But even so, if you are Jewish, you have been recipients of the mercy of God. And here it is, we see this kind of Pre, prehistoric view of the mercy of God already in play, the plan of God already in play to have a people who may not have been born of the right type, in the right neighborhood, of the right economic and social standing, under the right circumstances, but God says, my plan for you is not done. If you find yourself weary because when you look out from behind your eyes, you see a world that does not look like it is yours and it has nothing to offer you, you do have a God who wants to be yours and has everything to offer you. you uh, our weariness is often the sum total of looking at our circumstances and saying, Lord, this is too much. And guess what? It's okay to make that confession to the Lord. God desires... God desires to build that kind of faith in us, this kind of muscle memory, if you will, that says, you know what? When you find yourself overwhelmed, this is the muscle memory you need to get. I see you and I hear you. Remember that. I see you and I hear you. I see you and I hear you. Don't you ever forget that. That is the mercy of God applied to our affliction. Now, did you notice that, 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 that Sarah, excuse me, that Hagar was sent back into the situation that was a tough one? but she's got fresh hope. Where did that fresh hope come from? The Lord confirmed that he saw her and heard her. Oftentimes, all we need to, to, to rebuild our hope is just a word from the Lord. It says, Lord, you see me. Oh, Lord, I, I came in here. I was dragging today. 
My tail fellows was low, but man, this, this message is speaking to me. Lord, you obviously hear me because I don't know about anybody else in the room today, but I am not at a great place. I am weary. I hope that's you today and you believe and know that God is speaking to you, that he hears you and that he sees you. But the story continues. We said that there were three ways in which the mercy of God was going to appear in today's uh, message. The first one was that we would see the goodness of God applied to our weariness. And the second one was what? Nobody showed on the screen just yet. In our weakness. Who, who's, who's running this <laughs> screen? All right. Now you remember that for the next one. This is very quiz-like. It's very, very quiz-like. Take a look with me at Genesis chapter 17, verse, verses 1 through 5. Now, the previous passage that we looked at ended by telling us that at this point, Moses, excuse me, Abram is um, um, uh, 86. But this time, it opens this way in, in chapter 17. And when Abram was 99... Years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face and said, um, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And therefore, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. What an incredible contrast, but this is what the mercy of God does. It takes a look not only at my weariness, but it also takes a look at my weakness. The Bible wants us to know that this man is about as old as he can possibly get. It keeps highlighting how old he is at the opening of every chapter. Now he's 99. These conversations started when he was 75. I don't know about you, but a 24-year duration or gap in trying to see the promises of God come through, I don't know what it would do to you, but, but in this situation, I believe that, we want, that the Lord wants us to recognize very clearly that, that there are certain things that we are unable to do so that it becomes undeniable that he's the one that did it. I don't believe he's trying to air uh, um, 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 Abraham and Sarah out. I don't believe he's trying to do damage to them. I don't believe he's trying to stretch them. But I do believe in, in, in a very fundamental way, the same way that you grow muscle, right? No, no, you can put in a bunch of repetitions and get toned, but if you're going to grow, you got to overload. There has to be a progressive overload. There has to be, there has to be a, a, a certain level of stress placed on the, on the muscle that it cannot bear. So you ever seen anyone bench press? Some people do have a spotter for safety, but it's really a growth strategy. If I progressively push myself beyond the last limit, I'm growing every time. That little soreness that you feel when you work out, that soreness is a signal that your muscles are actively trying to rebuild little micro tears, and when they rebuild, you will be stronger. I believe in a very interesting way that the Lord progressively overloads our faith progressively overloads our faith in order to grow it. So not only do we say, Lord, this is too much, but Lord, I'm too weak and this issue has been going on too long. I need your help. I believe the Lord is standing there not to crush us, but to help us and to grow us. Here this man is he's with, with two distinct weaknesses in, in his family, the weakness of his flesh, which we share in, and the weakness in his faith. Sarah laughs and Abram believes he's just been out here way too long. I don't know about you, but, but have you ever felt 100% percent 
in your being, in your soul, in every fiber of your being that God spoke to you and said something, and you're like, ooh, the, 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 the degree and the gravity of which God spoke, you felt like that thing was going to be fixed like tomorrow, and you woke up, and, and your first conversation with your spouse, he was like, man, this thing's still not fixed. Or you went out in the driveway or whatever, you went to your job, and the way your boss spoke to you, his Lord, is still not fixed. I, I, I remember this. I, 1995, 96 became quite clear that the Lord said, no, you're not going to be an engineer. I want you to serve me in ministry. I was like, hey, man, Jesus, let's get on with it while I'm still working these ultimate low-paying jobs. I would love to go into full-time ministry and just get pulled right out of the security work while I'm in school. And the Lord decided that I would be co-vocational for over 20 years. I wasn't 99 when he pulled the, the trigger, but, but I definitely wasn't 27 when he first had the conversation. I was 45. And there were times when I was like, Lord, this is taking too long. And I, and I, I created all kinds of Ishmaels, not children outside of my household. <laughs> but I definitely... But I definitely went down a variety of different avenues, like, okay, Lord, well, this is, oh, oh, here, oh, oh I see what you're doing. Let, let me go ahead and help you. And I was like, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. No, that's not it. No, that's not it. But, 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 but it can seem, but, but here's the thing we have to grab hold to. Like, we, we are the creatures that are captured by time and space, not God. And so we feel as if when it takes too long for God to fulfill his promises, one of the weaknesses in our flesh is, Lord, I'm going to be past my prime before this thing comes through fruition. But your prime is the place where God chooses to use, not when you feel like you got the most energy and aptitude and capacity. The Lord is not trying to draw us past our prime, he's trying to draw us past ourselves. Past the point where I feel like I'm the one who's really supplying the push. He's not trying to hurt you, but he is trying to help us with a progressive overload. So we understand that he's the one who's really doing the work and we are mercifully and graciously being allowed to participate. We've all not only got weaknesses in our flesh that believe that sometimes the promises of God take too long and we're going to be past our prime, but we also have weaknesses in our faith where we laugh at God in the door of our tent. May not laugh ha-ha at the Lord, but we do conflate or confuse what is possible with what is practical. We're willing to compartmentalize in our hearts and in our faith, well, Lord, I know it's possible for you, but it ain't really practical for me. And we don't mind letting those two conundrums coexist where we begin to take the lack of practicality that we feel and impose it on God's possibility, even though we would never say it because we know it sounds blasphemous and offensive to the almighty God who introduced himself to us. But we do allow these things. Well, that ain't practical, God. So I'm just going to kind of cancel my faith subscription on this and move on to another focus. But the mercy of God, the mercy of God meets us in that place where we have this great weakness. And the Lord, I believe, is constantly doing exactly what he did to Abraham and Sarah. Remember the conversation here from Genesis 17. As the Lord waits till, you know, Abram is 99 years old. He just blew out, blew out four and a half cakes worth of candles. And the Lord shows up and was like, I am the almighty God. And guess what? My promise is as follows. And it's like, Lord, I just, are you sure? And he upgrades Abram's identity. You're not just going to be a father. You're going to be a father of a multitude. In Christ, the same thing happens to you and I. We get an identity upgrade. 
You're no longer doing this in you, you're doing this in me. And so if you're in Christ, you have become a new creation altogether. You've got new capacity in him. You've got a new name that you're trading on. We're not just dependent on your name anymore. It's the new identity you have in God. And so what the Lord does is he upgrades the believer's identity to match the level of identity, the level of activity that he expects from our lives. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is a show of mercy in light of our weakness. I believe, just as the Bible would tell us in uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die, but God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the Lord anticipates our weakness and already has a solution in hand according to what we see in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this isn't just the echoes of the gospel. I believe it cascades out into all the areas of life where God is calling on us to live out this new identity that we have in Christ. He has anticipated our weaknesses in the gospel, but he's also participated in our weakness. The Bible says we do not have a high priest who cannot identify with our weaknesses. He's been attempted at all points as we are. He's been disappointed. He's been backstabbed. He's been let down. He's been talked about. He's not been accepted by family. He's had to go out of town to get a good preaching schedule. He's been maligned, he's been second-guessed, he's been told you're a mere carpenter. He's had even people in his inner camp kiss him on the cheek for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus has been, has been touched with all of our infirmities. Accused of hanging out with the wrong crowd, breaking God's law. Hey, you're a sinner, why do you do this on the Sabbath? We, Jesus has not only, God has not only in Christ anticipated our weakness, the things we couldn't do for ourselves, we couldn't save ourselves, we couldn't draw ourselves to the cross, but he also participates in our weaknesses. Let us know, I understand where you're at. And this is the mercy of God. We are being actively conformed to the image of Christ. Let's keep going. Wickedness, the wickedness. I gave you that one for free. As we look at Genesis chapter 18, verses 26, uh, 23 and through 26, I'll just kind of share with you the story. What has happened is the Lord has sent personnel to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, guess what? Lot's over there and his family. And Abraham begins to engage with the Lord and say, hey, if we find, you know, X number of righteous people over there, would you forbear the destruction? Would the, please don't let the, the judge and the righteous judge of all the earth be considered to be unjust by going in and destroying the righteous along with the unrighteous when you go over there. And so there's this dialogue that happens between God and Abraham that's quite fascinating, and it looks like God is negotiating with the human being, and that's not the case. I believe what we're seeing typified here is even the actions of the Lord's prayer. Yeah, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not, it's not negotiation, it's synchronization of heart. Abraham, let me help you see what I'm doing in the grand scheme. We can get down to whatever number you want to, but, but you, you're right. You understand my character. I, because the Lord, the Lord, one of the shows of his mercy toward our weakness uh, uh, is this, or our wickedness is this. The Lord can show a whole lot of patience with wickedness without leveraging his holiness. Some of us may be looking at ourselves in the mirror and we have found comfort in our current state of sin because the Lord hasn't exposed us yet. And we believe that maybe he's not on the throne. He's not looking. He doesn't care. He's co-signed. He's endorsed it. There are others of us who are looking at the lives of other people 
and wondering when is God going to take over there? Lord, Lord, are you not holy? Are you not in control? Are you not in charge? What are you doing? Now, when it comes to the sin of Lot, there's two things I want you to see. Because the Lord will, will go in, he will destroy the city, but he will give a way of escape for Lot and his family. And I think you're seeing just kind of a, a small little cameo of two things. Kind of like a person who is drowning. You've gotten out there deeper than you know, and you've gotten in trouble. You went out as far as you could in your own strength, but now the circumstances are overwhelming you, and you need someone to throw you a little bit of a life raft. Let me, has anybody ever been there? Again, you just kind of went out doing what you normally do. When Lot went to the plains of, of Mamre and went to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, he wasn't seeking sin. He was seeking space. He was just looking for a place to just drop anchor and feed his herdman and his family, just kind of do life. He was just doing him based off the script that he had. Have you ever done that and then found yourself overwhelmed, up to your eyeballs in iniquity? Maybe it wasn't sin in you, it was sin around you, but nevertheless, it was wickedness that was overwhelming you. Have you ever been there? Two things that God does. When it's sin in you, God says repent. When it's sin around you, God says run. And the Bible says that when I'm telling you to either repent or run, both of these are expressions of my merciful faithfulness because he doesn't owe them to us. We look at the life of Abraham, and he is seemingly, again, talking to God or negotiating with God, but he's not. He's not instructing God on how many people are necessary to, to save the city. He is interceding. He's interceding on Lot's behalf. And I believe that this ought to also be our posture toward those around us who we find in, the, in weakness who have gotten up to their eyes in a circumstance that they cannot get out of. Sometimes you have spoke to them as much as you possibly can, and the most you can do now is speak to the Lord on their behalf. Lord, will you go get them? So, but there's something else that's happening here that I think is quite interesting. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, but do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Whether you're in sin or sin is in you, the Lord is patient. But he is patient with a view towards your redemption, not giving permission to continue in the situation. When we look here, and God shows this great show of patience, I see just kind of an early, as I like to call it, prehistoric allusion to the gospel spelled out more clearly in Jude 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the, waiting for the, okay, the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the, to others show 
with fear, hating even the garments that, stain, that are stained by the flesh. This, this, this here in, in, in Jude, you see this clear picture that this application of mercy applies to even kind of our, our disciple-making call. There are, there are, we ourselves might find ourselves weak and need to be snatched from the fire, but when we know God shows that kind of mercy, we too ought to be the kind of people that show that kind of mercy. Don't give up on those around you because they haven't responded to your calls, your texts, your appeals. Don't give up to those that are around you that are not doing what you would like for them to do or living life the way you believe they should live. Don't give up on them. Continue to intercede on their behalf. I believe that one of the great and grandest displays of the mercy of God, though, is this. It is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Think about the threefold expression of mercy that we've seen right now or just in a few moments ago in Abraham's life. God's, the application of God's goodness to our weariness, our weakness, and our wickedness. All three of those are just on full display in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They're on full display in this way. We cannot continue in our current state outside of Christ. There is no way. If anybody in here who is truly saved may indeed remember a season in your life where you were trying to do it all yourself and the weight of your sin was too much. And you were like, Lord, where do I put this? Where do I, 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 can't, I can't move it and manage it fast enough. What do I do? And that was the thing that, that impressed upon your heart, the need to cast it all onto Christ. When you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you're seeing someone who is bearing the weight of our sin because we were too weary to do it ourselves. We were always too weak, but we had yet to grow weary enough to give it to him. In Christ, we also see the mercy of God applied to our weakness. It is impossible for us to please God apart from the partnering relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see the strength and the wisdom of God in Christ on the cross because his death is not only this loving voluntary gesture, but it is also a substitutionary gesture on our behalf, but it's a necessary gesture that satisfies the wrath of God. Like if the Lord didn't find any satisfaction in it, we'd still be in our sin, but it satisfied the wrath of God. It brought about mercy for all those who would place faith in Jesus. And then, of course, our wickedness. We know that we live in a world that has us up to our eyeballs in wickedness, and we also know that there are times when the wickedness is, is in us. And it is the power of God in Christ on the cross who is raised from the dead and then in victory over sin, death, and the devil, wickedness and all of its variations. And he says, if you place faith in Jesus Christ, that same power that, that has victory over sin, death, and the devil, that God, Jesus had a grave, now lives within you. Therefore, whether you need to repent or you need to run, I got you. The power to do so lives in you if you place faith in Christ. I don't know where you are today, but if you are a person who does not know Jesus and something about today's message resonates, he says, hey, man, hey, guy in blue shirt, weariness, weariness, yeah, you spoke to me. Wickedness, I don't like to use that kind of vocabulary, but I, yeah, that calls my number. Weakness, yeah, I feel it. I feel, I feel the progressive overload of my situation, and I can't handle this. And I've turned to a variety of different resources to try to get some relief, but when, I, when, the, when, the, when, my, when my weed runs out, the weight comes back. When the liquor store won't give me no more, the weight comes back. 
when my sneaky link won't answer my call. The weight and challenge comes back. Man, if you're feeling the weight of your sin, whatever it is that you used to use for relief, God says, I want to be your spotter. Let me take that off of you. That's been put on to my son. Will you trust me in that way? Will you trust me with the solution? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and praise you for all of those who are here listening to me. But I hope they heard you. And uh, hearing from you, I pray, oh God, that there was a word for them. You found us at our individual locations and situations. And that you are calling us forward to take one more incremental step. For the person that does not know you, I pray, oh God, that they've heard the gospel. For those that do know you, I pray that they heard the gospel and would more richly and deeply apply its power. Would you give us all, Lord God, fresh appreciation for your mercy today in all of the spaces where we need it in our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.